We took a whole verse last week. Chapter 12, verse 1. So we pick it up today in verse 2. As we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Word of God. Um, I feel like I'm so far away from you. Uh, See, if you guys keep moving back, I just want to warn you, I'll keep moving forward. <laughs> so what's going to happen is you'll sit in the back rows and I'll just I'll sit right there on the uh, baptismal. Anyways, verse two, take a look at it with me, if you would, please. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? For I say through the grace given in me to every one of you who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And then he'll move into verse 4 where he'll say, For as we have many members in one body, but all are members of the same body, will then function as such. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for what it is you are wishing to tell us here. I thank you, Lord, for how you intend tonight for your scripture to burst open and just erupt upon every one of our hearts tonight. That we would be engulfed in you, blessed by you drawn in by you, that we would fall in love with you tonight. If there be any who have yet to say yes to that gift of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection to give us new life, let tonight be the night of our salvation, I pray. For those, Lord, who have said yes to you, Lord, let tonight be powerful and personal and practical. Lord, speak fluent us tonight, every one of us. Minister right where we need to hear you, Lord, I pray. Step in and overwhelm us with your goodness. May we have so much fun in your word, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would take this time and and redeem every second and let us truly be engulfed in you now. As we seek you, Lord, please take this time and overwhelm us with your goodness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon me that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Lord, immerse me that I would disappear and you would appear. And then, Lord, come upon me that you would be able to speak right where every one of us need to hear. So, Lord, now color in the black and white and make this perfect and profound, I pray. We commit this to you. Have your way. Be exalted and glorified in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Now, you can expect me to say that pretty much, well, every time I'm up here. You should probably expect Jeffrey to say something of its like next week. And who and. Robert Pendergrass on this Sunday as well. We don't expect you to assume that just because a guy has a mic that he's, he's all that. Truth be told, it is the Scripture that is the authority. And if the Scripture had been the authority throughout all of the time of what we call the Christian church, I guarantee you we would not have to answer 90% of the questions that are out there like, oh yeah, well, what about... What about the Inquisitions? What about the Pope? What about the whatever? What about knots in your microphone? Because to be honest, the moment you rule out Scripture, you remove yourself from authority. Well, you remove yourself from accountability, and then you can make up whatever you want. And that's where the problems lie. Now, in our text, we are in the the fifth of five sections. Chapters 1 and 2, the area of sin. Chapters 3 through 5, focusing on salvation. Chapters 6 through 8, focusing on sanctification, being set apart. Chapters 9 through 11, focusing on God being sovereign and smart. And now chapters 12 through 16, God focuses on service. Now, now that order is 
is intentional. It's concerted because God does not want us to just go, oh, now that I'm saved or worse yet, now that I'm in church, why don't I just serve? What God wants is for us to start working some things out for him to redirect and rebuild and reinvent our hearts and our view of success and what's important God reevaluating our entire priority system and then trusting that God is powerful and smart enough to do it in a way that may not be our way, but better. In that now we get to this section and God says, well, now that you want to serve, now that you know you're a sinner, but you know by faith you've been saved by the gift of Jesus Christ. Now that you see how I've set you apart by my Holy Spirit and call you now no longer to walk like you used to walk in the lusts of your flesh and in your eyes and your heart, but now to walk in the Spirit, governed by my Spirit, led by my Word, strengthened by my my Spirit. Now that that's the case and you know that I'm in control so that the way I do things will be better than your ways and they may not be the ways that you choose, but trust me, I play for keeps and I know what I'm doing. Now he says, now that you want to serve, first and foremost, die. It's now that starts. Offer yourselves in view of God's mercy as a living sacrifice. Offer and keep offering. Lay and keep laying down. Give and keep giving before God. Now understand, I don't serve you to serve God. I serve God and by serving God, I serve you. The difference is I give myself to God for you, not give myself to you for God. The difference is radical. God calls the shots. He makes it happen. You just get to be blessed by it. And my prayer is that that would be the case for every one of us. As we seek to surrender to God, we say, God, I give myself to you. God says, well, then good. I'm going to use you to bless other people. That's the way that works. And so he says then, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or pleasing to God, which is the only logical way to really worship or serve him. The word there is the word for service. In other words, it's the only really logical way to serve starts with offering yourself, your bodies to God. So God starts to go with the first body part that's to be offered. And the first body part that's to be offered is your mind. Notice in verse 2, he goes right after your head. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, dokumazete, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's where this starts. When he says, offer your body, God doesn't let us just kind of think, well, in theory I offered my body, so I guess I'm ready. God goes, well, then let's do some, let's take some inventory. If you really have offered your body, it starts with your brain. Now, can I just say this? And again, don't just believe me, because we've made really esoteric what God made very practical. And let me talk about one of those areas, and I won't even develop it a lot, because I'd ask for you as Bible students to check it on your own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 4, it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There is a spiritual battle to be bought, or to be fought, I'm sorry. We know that from Ephesians chapter 6. After he already developed all of these things about who we are in the heavenlies. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he's made us alive, raised us, and made us to sit in Christ in the heavenlies above every principality, power, might, dominion, and anything that can be named. He lists several things about what we have and who we are in the heavenlies. And then he says that's where the battle's fought. In the heavenlies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, the way that we fight that battle cannot be with carnal weapons. We can't just take an anti-missile air, or an anti-aircraft missile and assume that that's going to take down anything. We don't grab swords to stab people in Christ. There are others out there that believe that the way to win the war or wage the war is to do so through physical weaponry. But might I say, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting. Because the land we gain isn't this land. It already belongs to him anyways. We may forget that. But all the earth is the Lord's and the the fullness thereof. But he says, listen to this, listen. Not to me, take a drink. That's neither here nor there. Listen. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God, literally invincible in God. Listen, for tearing down strongholds, extinguishing every high or lofty argument or ideal against the knowledge of God, and then taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, that's the process. And if we were going to take a city, and we all gathered and we said, all right, it's time to take the city, we know that there is a process to take. That process revolves around us gaining ground. Once we get near the city to take it, the first problem we have are those strong towers. Those strong towers are the areas where they see you from afar to gather the army and to shoot at you from a distance. That's to get, basically, that's to keep you from ever getting close enough to the wall to start taking it down. But he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty or invincible for, in God to take down those things. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but for every one of us, there are strongholds. Areas that when you say, I'm going to get really serious about God, there's that, yeah, but what about? And it almost keeps you from taking the city. And that's where it starts. When it starts, just like anywhere, is there are people up in the guard towers waiting to go and open fire at you. And you know, if I'm going to get serious, I mean serious, about my walk with Jesus, there's going to be some fighting there. And you know what? No ground is ever gained without a battle. The good news is the battle belongs to the Lord and the weapons are not carnal. Are you with me so far? Now, it tells us once those strong towers are down, now we get to the wall. But when we get to the wall, the next thing that happens is, is that they throw things over the wall to stop us. Traditionally, that's burning hot oil. That'll slow you down. Um, it is giant boulders. That will slow you down when they land on your head. You know, it's things because they have gravity and they're kind of above you with this. They kind of push things off the end of it and they kind of drop them on. And yet who experienced that? There are several people that kind of get to the wall and then they experience what happens when you get too close to the wall. Millstones get tossed over and crack your skull, that kind of thing. And these are the things, but there's more to that. But if you were to build, chances are you would come with a wooden structure that either was like a battering ram or like a catapult that would launch things over. So how do you shut down that catapult or that, that wooden structure? Well, what they Fire over are these firebrands, which is basically a, a, an arrow with something. It's sort of like the Molotov cocktail of the day. It was an arrow with something burning on the end of it. So when it was shot over the wall, it would land on your wooden structure and set it on fire. Now, that makes sense, right? Interestingly enough, by the way, most of the walls in the Middle East are built of limestone. Are you aware of that? And if you know anything about limestone, it's a very, very wet stone. How do you tear down the wall? Interestingly enough, you use their own fire against them. Because if you set a fire right at the base of the, of the stone, it evaporates the water out of the stone and the walls crumble to dust. So the very weapon that's used against us can actually be used to take down the wall that's to, sh to keep you out. Now, here's the question. The, you know, if you were to play the game of chess... Which, by the way, in the beginning, I used to think, how come the queen gets to go wherever she wants? You know, that's like the king's like. He gets like one stop. That's it. Like, you know what? What kind of king is this? He's like a guy that takes one stop and takes a break. But the queen's like zipping all around the board. If you've ever played chess, right? She gets to do this and she gets to do that. Now, interesting, though, but if you take the queen, you can still play. What's the one thing on the board that if you trap or get the game's over? The king. That's the thing to get. If you get that in a game of chess, the game is over. Well, what is it in this, in this spiritual battle? And by the way, that is just like in a lot of battles. If they take the king and they take the king down, well, then the whole, the whole battle's over. Everyone flees, you get the city and the whole bit. Listen to this again. The question is, what is the thing that we want to take captive in the end, that we want to get to win this game? You ready? To win this war. Listen, the, spirit, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty or invincible in God for tearing down those strongholds, extinguishing every high and lofty ideal against the knowledge of God, and then taking every thought captive. So we take down the strongholds, we get through the city. What is the one thing we want in there? You tell me, what is it? Yeah, and what is the king, according to this? What do we take captive? We take every thought captive. I don't know if you realize this, but the spiritual battle, the battleground is in here. That's where the spiritual battle takes place in regards to how it bears forth fruit in our own lives. Interesting, isn't it? Once that is taken captive, everything starts to change. Interesting, that's how important the mind is. That goes right back to our text. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove, let me explain that word for a moment, that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, and then I'm going to go backwards in this because the question really is, well, then what is the will of God? How do I know what the will of God is? How can I learn what the will of God is? And if that is the case, how do I take this and apply it to that? But start with this. To know or approve, the word dokamazete actually comes from a Greek word dokamas. And dokamas, like dokea means to seem, was actually a title in a, a man was given. And that particular man was in the marketplace. Follow me on this. If we're in an international community, kind of like where we are in Camden, everyone came with their own currency. Well, how do we know what, you know, how do we know what your thing is worth versus what your thing is worth in your countries? Well, we use precious metals and we use the same two precious metals today. What are they? Gold and silver. Right, exactly. But in that gold and silver, there would be stamped on it some sort of value. And what would happen is, is you could look at the face value of that thing and assume, well, that must be worth a pound, for instance. But a real intelligent marketer would have a dokimas, and that was a money weigher. He had a, he had a weight that he knew that weight was worth a pound, and he would put it on one side, and he would put your coin on the other to see if they balanced out. Does that make sense? This was a tried and a trusted weight that he knew if he put it there and he put it here, that was going to equal, then you knew that was worth a pound. Now, we still do that today, don't we? If you've ever brought in a whole bunch of bills into, I mean, as far as money, into our notes, into the bank, don't they put them on a little thing to kind of weigh them? Have you noticed that? Even your money gets weighed today with that same idea. Now, understand, that's the same one that's used when it's told to test every spirit, to test prophecies, and the idea is quite simple. Test Everything. Now, how do you do it? You take what you know to be a true and solid weight that's trustworthy on one side, and then you put it on the other to see if it weighs out. Does that make sense? Might I suggest to you this is the Word of God. I put it on this side, and I take someone's got a prophecy, I want to put it on this side. Does it balance out? Someone's got a word, I want to take it here. To when it's, I'm watching some guy on TV, and he's waving his coat. Does I put it on me? Does it weigh out? Someone says, well, this is what I believe. How does it weigh out? I'm checking it. Well, that's the word that's here for what we do with the will of God. In other words, I'm going, how do I know the will of God? Well, I take that which is trustworthy on this side, and I want to take it and put it on this side, and I want to say, does it really weigh out? Are you with me so far? Now, this whole issue of the will of God, I want to kind of tear it apart for just a second, and we'll get back into our text here to get through this verse. And by the time we're done, we just may get through a whole verse again. But after all, I'm okay with that, are you? Now listen to this, and again, don't just believe me, I'll give you scripture markings for every one of these things. The will of God is so important, your salvation hinges on it. Listen to this, in Matthew 7.21, again, Matthew 7.21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Which I get from that, if I don't do the will of the Father in heaven, I am not going to inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That's how busy it is. That's how serious it is. Now, interesting, I know that the will of God, contrary to what some might say, but all I'm doing is I'm taking scripture here. Don't just believe me. The will of God can be rejected. In Luke chapter 7, verse 30, we read that the, and this is God making commentary here, that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected and the word there, by the way, is the word atheteho. And atheteho means to set aside or cast off the will of God for themselves, refusing to be baptized by John the Baptist. Let me say that again. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. So you say, well, you can't reject the will of God. And I go, well, the lawyers and Pharisees did. Clearly, someone can reject the will of God. Now, if that's the case, the question really is, well, what is the will of God? And I'm going to start by defining it. The word, and, and by the way, a classic example is from the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 18. Where it says, whatever seems good to you and your brethren, do it with the rest of the silver and gold. Do it according to the will of your God. They're being licensed now to go and build the temple and such. And with that, the word there is the word rahu. Could you say rahu? Oh, come on now. There's one of me and there's a lot of you. Rahu. Knock, knock, who's there? Rahu. Rahu means friend or friendly to. 
Interesting, the word for will here is the word that means something that's friendly to you. Now, interesting, that might be different for each one of you. Now, there's some I know that you walk by gelato that's really friendly to. You walk by and you see that big, beautiful piece of cake and you go, oh, now I'm friendly to that. Now, Jenny, on the other hand, I mean, uh, somebody with, that rhymes with Lenny uh, might not because they, it's got, you know, it's got things in it that she coincidentally might not be able to eat. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, on the other hand, someone like Naomi may walk by something and it looks like it's like gerbil food and she might go, that's friendly to me. And the reason I say that is, is that that's the word that is used for will. And I love the word in the Greek because it really blasts this whole thing wide open. Listen, 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 please. It tells me, by the way, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 34, when, if you remember, the disciples had gone, Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman, they come back and they're like, hey, you sent us for food, why won't you eat? Well, you know, sometimes Jesus sends you on an errand to get you out of the way. Have you learned that yet? He didn't send them to get food because he was hungry. He sent them to get food because he had an appointment with a woman who had had enough guys to deal with and it needed to be dealt with between her and him now. And he says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the question is, what is that word? And the word is thelema. Thelema, by the way, comes from the root word for pleasure. And this, I honestly, is what transformed my whole relationship with God. Honestly, it was one of the milestones in my walk with God. And I'll tell you why. Because somewhere as a Westerner, and I mean that is in Western Europe, America, we're Westerners. We get this idea that there's this special secret plan of God. Now think about how twisted this is. The plan is like this. You woke up this morning. Shirley woke up this morning. Or Marcia woke up this morning. And she's like, oh, what's the will of God? And what she means by that is what's his secret plan that he's not revealing to me, but I have to be a detective to figure it out. And if I have my spiritual decoder ring on just right, I'll know which dress to pick out. And if, like, and if I pick the wrong dress, God's clearly going to punish me and I'll spill coffee all over it. I know that because it won't be God's will. And then it's like, oh, Lord, do I take the Piccadilly line or do I take the northern line? What's your will? And we get to this place. Now, think about how twisted that is. We get so many of these little silly consequential issues with our life. And, and let me tell you, as a dad, that's weird. Could you imagine... If my child comes up to me, either one of them, and by the way, they wouldn't, if you know anything about Ruthie, she's 10. You couldn't put khaki on her when she was two. She's like, I'm not going to wear that. She was two. No, I mean, but I mean, imagine if she came up, she's like, all right, dad, before I get dressed today, what is your will? Is your special secret plan to put on this or to put on that? I'm like, you know what? Just get dressed. That would be, that's my, that would, and, and that's the crazy part is, as Christians, what kind of God do we represent if we think that every little thing like that is God's special thing, but he's not even going to let us know. So if we, it's like, okay, I hope I figure this out. And we tread really carefully and it's like, bam, oh no, I hit traffic or oh no, they shut down the line. I knew I should have taken the northern line. I knew I misheard God's will. Is that crazy? And that's what we focus on. But the word thalema means pleasure. And here's the difference. If God were just a CEO, he was the manager, he was a boss, and he didn't care about you, and he wasn't concerned about you personally, he could sort of send a special secret note. Here it is. I'm on your special secret plan. And if you, do, if you don't do it to the letter, bam, somewhere in between here and France, you're going to get nailed. You're going to get diarrhea on the channel. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we get with, but see, God doesn't have to be personal and you don't have to know who he is for that, do you? But what if it was exactly as it is in Scripture where the word means pleasure? It's not some special secret little plan, but it's quite, just quite simply what pleases him. Now think about that because that redirects everything. Now Marcia wakes up tomorrow morning and she goes, Lord, what would please you today? And all of a sudden, what dress she picks out and what shoes that go with it or not are not the focus. Right? 
What's amazing is we could spend all our time. Now, I wouldn't spend all my time figuring out what dress to wear because I don't wear dresses. But, but, you know, whatever but the things that are so inconsequential and we really strain the gnat and swallow the camel because we really don't ask the most important question, which is what would really please you? Because what would please us demands more from us than these silly little choices that we make. I mean, there you are, the menu's open and you're like, God, do I get the double cheeseburger or do I get... Now, maybe in, in disobedience, your, your doctor said, don't get the double cheeseburger. Well, then I think you might be wise. But, I mean, it's like, oh, wait a minute, Lord, do I get the fish and chips or do I get the chicken and chips? God, what's your will in this? Really? What's interesting is if I ask, Lord, direct us to a good restaurant. But more importantly, what would please you? And I know what would please him is if we went in there and we were a witness in that restaurant. What if the food were bad, but that allowed your witness to be good? Can you see the difference? Because we could be so caught up in the other way. go, clearly this isn't God's will because I just had the worst fish. I mean, this thing's been dead since Noah. You know, and you, know, and, and you kind of go think, well, that, and, and versus by, while, while you're being all Mr. Grumpy Pants, you're like blowing your witness and you were not doing what pleases God. Do you see that? Follow me. I just want to throw a few, four things at you as we compare and we consider this. Okay, four things I am absolutely sure are God's will for your life. Here's the first of them. You ready? Okay. Listen to this. God says in Ezekiel 18:32, "I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies," says the Lord God. And there's that word pleasure. Therefore, turn. I'm sorry. Turn and live. Ezekiel 33:11 says, "As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure, same word again, in the death of the wicked, but that rather, this is what would please me, that the wicked would turn from his way and live." In Matthew 18:14, God says, "Even so it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that any one of these should perish." In 2 Peter 3:9, it says, "The Lord is not slack as some count slackness." In other words, God is not a slacker. In his promise, but as long suffering, listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The word there is bulamai, and the word means, in other words, to bring him delight. Well, you say, well, that's not that word, phileho or thelo. Well, good. Well, then how about this one? Just to flat out say it, listen to this First Timothy 2, 4. It says, God, who desires, there's our word, thelo, all men to be saved. No, no matter where you want to stand theologically, you will never move me from the position Scripture has given me. And that is, no matter where you want to say about God's hand on things, He desires all men to be saved. And I'll say, how do, why makes you say that? Because it says here, He desires all men to be saved. Well, what do you think? You know, well, do you really think all means all? Really, you're going to ask a question like that? Now, He may not get what He wants. But again, you can resist his will. The first thing, absolutely, is it is God's will that you would be his. It's that simple. First, first thing, God's will is that you would be his. The question is, are you his tonight? Now, I'm not talking about, well, Jesus just saved me from hell and I'm going to live my life for me and everything's cool. Are you his? Because that's God's will for you. And what's interesting is you might be concerned about so many other things like, well, do I go out with this guy or that guy? Should I really join eHarmony or not? And you can get into all those things. But the bottom line is, if you're not his, why do you want to be anyone else's? John 6.40 says, This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes on him would have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. In Luke chapter 12, 32, it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. First thing, are you His? Have you surrendered to Jesus, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord? Now here's the second one. Are you ready? So the first one, it is God's will that you would be His. You would be His. Yeah, we're going to make it simple. It is God's will that you would be 
His. Okay, let's try that one more time now that we've had our rehearsal for the four of you. Let's wake up the rest. It is God's will that you would be. Oh, that was so much better. Whoa, you are there. Okay, listen, here's the second one. Ready? And Galatians 1, 4, it says that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. It tells us this in 1 Peter 4, 2, that we should live no longer in the lusts of our flesh or in the rest of the time in the lusts of the flesh or the lusts of men because this is the will of God, that we shouldn't do that. It tells us in Romans 8, and we were there not that long ago, verse 5, that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. But to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It cannot, listen, it is not subject to the will of God and it cannot be. Then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It says, this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The second thing, it is God's will that you should be holy. And all holy means is set apart unto Him. Okay, number one, it is God's will that you be? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Marcia. How about the rest of you? It is God's will that you would be? Thanks. That was so whelming. Second, it is God's will that you would be holy. holy. Yes. Now it's just we're halfway there. Look at we say what's God's will? God's will is that you would be his, and God's will is that you would be set apart for him. Third, Ephesians five seventeen. Do not be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. And here it is, ready? Don't get drunk. That's what he says next. Don't be drunk with wine. And people go, that's okay, I'll just get drunk with Jaeger bombs. It's the same concept, in which is dissipation, but be, literally be, being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God, submitting to one another, I'm being thankful in all things in Jesus Christ, and then submitting to one another in the fear of God. It is God's will that you would be filled. Not with you. You've been full of you for too long. It is God's will that you would be filled with Him. Now, the problem is not Jesus in my life and in yours too. I can just be that honest. I've heard a story, and this came, by the way, back when I used to study martial arts. That doesn't make it any good or bad, just in regards to this, but follow me on it. There was a particular, and we used to tell the story when we used to teach in our dojo, we would tell the story about guys that come in and the first thing they want to tell you was all of the training they already have. And they'll say, well, you know, I studied karate and Aikido and I studied that really cool Brazilian thing that's kind of half dancing and half bongo playing and, and half like, you know, street dancing, you know, whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. All right, awesome. Well, let me tell you a little story. And here's another story goes. A man came in and he told all of the things about how great he was, but he just needed that little top up at the top there because that's why he went to this new guy to teach him. And so he went in and the, and the, the master at the time, the teacher, brought him into a room and he had a servant come and he says, now bring us two cups. As he brought two cups, the cup that he set in front of the potential student was already full and the one that was set before the master wasn't. And as the man continued to tell him all of the things he had already done and how gifted he was and how he could already do the splits and how he could already do these things and he could bench press this much... Finally, sooner or later, the master came and brought the servant in and he said, now pour the tea. And of course, when he came to the master, he poured it into the master's cup and he proceeded to enjoy a good spot tea. On the other side of it, he went over to the student and he proceeded to pour the same amount that he had poured in the master's cup. Well, the problem was the cup was already full. And because the cup was already full, it spilled very, very hot water upon the lap of the student who jumped up quite in amazement and a bit of shock because at this particular point, his midsection now was on fire. And as he jumped up, he's like, what? And he looked at him like, what's the deal here? And of course, the master, not losing a, a pitch on this, had already prepared this. He said, well, what seems to be the problem? He says, well, I didn't need any more tea. My cup was already full. And he goes, well, that was the problem when you came in. You didn't need anything else because your cup was already full. Now, please hear me. It tells us that God does not give his spirit by measure. Do you know what that means? God will never give me, Pastor Tony, more Holy Spirit than he'll give any of you. Do you realize that? 
The issue is not how much of the Holy Spirit I have or you have. The question is how much of you the Holy Spirit has. And the issue is, is that in this thing, which God calls a vessel, this is Mario's vessel. Actually, it's Jesus's vessel. It just happens to have the name Mario. This is another one of Jesus's vessels. It just happens to be named Allie. And the point of every one of those is, is that it's either going to be full with Jesus or it's going to be full with us. You've heard it. Oh, you're so full of yourself. Well, there becomes the problem. Is that if I'm so full of me, but I want Jesus to fill me, all I really want him to do is plug me in so I can be awesome. Let's be honest. My cup was full, and I kind of liked what I put in there. I built my own little cocktail, and that, that cocktail was like, I'm awesome. That's what it is, that I'm awesome cocktail. Now, Jesus, if you could just supercharge it with your Holy Spirit so my plans would be so awesome so that everyone else would agree with how awesome I am, well, then it would be awesome. And God's like, no, 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 actually the problem is there's no room for me in you right now. And the problem is, is that's why we sing songs like empty me and then fill me with you. Songs which, by the way, when God really answers those kind of songs, it's really a rough day. Because do you know how God empties you of you? He has to break you so you will spill out of you. Does that make sense? If you don't hand you over to God, God will break you so you'll spill out. So he can then patch you up and fill you with him. It's a very nice thing that he does. It's just not a really fun process. The same way that if you ever have a bone that's broken and you really need it, to, but it's healed incorrectly, how they have to re-break the bone to get it set the right place. Well, sometimes God has to break something just so that you'll actually be set the right way. And by the way, that's me too. Okay, now, there are, very, there are three things right now already that we know are God's will. So let me ask you, what's the first one? It is God's will that you would be... Ooh, that wasn't so bad. Yes, it's God's will that you would be his. Are you his tonight? I mean, you're his. Where it's like, you know what? Ah, I'm yours. Second, it is God's will that you would be holy. Are you set apart? Are you busy trying to still be way cool with the world? Are you busy trying to be cool with Christ? Because I've learned this. Jesus says a man can't serve two masters. And can I just say they are in opposite directions. So no matter where you stand, you can't do both well. I mean, at best, it's a cha-cha. A little bit of the Lord, it's a little bit of... That's a little of the Lord, a little bit of the world. But sooner or later, you look ridiculous because you're still staying in the same spot. Are we really being holy? Set apart. And by the way, can I just say, Scripture never says set apart away from. It says set apart unto. It doesn't say holy from. It says holy unto. And that's so different because the reason why I'm a little fearful of, of distancing myself from the traps of the world is that I forget that there's a place I'm going instead of just the place I'm leaving. And the point is, I'm getting holy unto the Lord, not just holy away from the world. Does that make sense? Man, if we miss that, we're in trouble. Okay, number one, it is God's will that you would be beautiful. Second, it's God's will that you would be holy. Third, it is God's will that you would be filled. Ooh, well, that was four of you, I think, got that. Third one, it is God's will that you would be filled. That was the same four. Come on, there's more of you. It is God's, number three, it is God's will that you would be filled. Oh, that's better. I knew you were there. I'm going to have to take a picture and look. Okay, listen to the last one. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It tells us, interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Colossians 1.1, 1, 1, 2 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, all seem to have the same thing. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Oh, and one more. Again, Second Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. There was a little bit. Did you get a theme in that? Can I just say, it is God's will that you would be used. Used to touch the world. Used to change the world. Used to strengthen believers. Used to bring in the lost. Used in the very best of ways. 
And you'd say, I don't like the idea of being used. Yes, you do. Sit down and shut up and think about it first before you want to blurt. Follow me on this, because every one of us wants to have purpose. And to have purpose, you're going to be used somewhere. I just want to have a purpose. Well, you do. God has a purpose for you. And I think, does this thing interfere with my being used? This thing in my life, as I start taking inventory, is there anything in my life that interferes with my being used? Is there some freedom that I think I'm cashing in on that can keep me from being available to God at the moments when I need it? Are there things in my life that I'm so full of me that I know so full of me doesn't make for good ministry? Are there things where I'm using excuses? I'm propping up articles of my past. Is there anything that I'd say, all right, Lord, I could be used, but... Do you know how God takes that? The nation Israel gets to the border and won't cross over. And you know what they blame it on? Their kids. Remember that? Oh, you know, God really doesn't care about our kids because if we're going to go and fight those people to take the land... This is, by the way, the book of Numbers, chapters 13, 12, 13, and 14. You're going to see it. Well, God just, when we bring our kids in there, they're going to kill them. God says, I'll show you how much I love your kids. You are all going to die in the wilderness. I'll let your kids in. So you wouldn't try to blame God. See how well that works. I love taking our children on things that are crazy because the Lord says do it. There's something beautiful about that. I love taking my wife. I'm going to tell you what. My wife knows the difference between things that are up for vote and things that are non-negotiable. Now, there aren't a lot of things that are. I'll drive you nuts if you need somebody that's super decisive all the time. Unless it's like a regular restaurant I normally eat at, chances are people are like, what do you like? I usually ask the person behind the counter, what do you recommend? I don't care. I don't make me make these decisions. I make important ones. These aren't important. But when it comes to something and the Lord says, this is my will for you, this is what I call you to, well, then... That becomes non-negotiable. Coming here to London pleased God. That was his will because it pleased him. You know why it pleased him? Because it was obedience. Let me ask you this. Please hear me on this because I'm going to really flip this on its ear and we'll get to the remainder of our text to close this up. I don't have a watch on so you're all in trouble. Um, Don't throw one at me. Okay, please hear me. Lucas. Let's say Lucas wakes up tomorrow morning. Well, we assume that'll happen, but there's more to the story. Let's say he wakes up tomorrow morning and he genuinely believes in his heart that God told him, I want you to go down to Brixton and I want you to go and I want you to take three Bibles and I want you to hand them out to total strangers. Okay. And so Lucas wakes up, and of course there's that battle. Really, Brixton? Really? I don't know if I have enough on my oyster card. All of the things that we think we're going to try to tell God, for God to go, oh yeah, well, I didn't consider that. You're probably right. I should ask someone else, right? Right. It's just the same. And so Lucas, knowing Lucas, he's kind of like, oh man, I better go. I better go, right? And so off he goes. He goes to he goes to to um, to Brixton, and he goes, and he's like, oh, I don't know which three people. And so he just kind of looks, and he kind of goes. She seems cool. Here, would you like a Bible? Okay. Now, in the end of it all, what if he heard wrong? Would it still please God? Yes, it would, wouldn't it? Because he was seeking to be obedient. Listen, listen, listen. Don't forget this. It is God's job to communicate to you. It's God's job. He knows how to speak to you. We tend to think, now, in our relationships, it's a little rougher because there's variables on both sides. I mean, if I'm speaking to Mario, I have to figure out how to say it in a Greek way so he gets it. Now, as guys, right? And I ask this with my wife. I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, fine. I'm like, is that a girl fine or a guy fine? Right? Because a guy fine, what does that mean? If guys say you're, they're fine, what does that mean? That means they're fine. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, the well doesn't go very deep. That's it. You know, it's a switch. Fine means fine. You know, and the reason I say that is, is that there are variables on both sides. The communicator that speaks and the one who hears. Does that make sense? But see, God, who's perfect, doesn't have a problem. He knows exactly how to speak to you. 
And, you know, he can speak in various ways. He can speak through circumstances. He can speak as you're reading scripture. He can just speak to your heart. And you go, well, I don't get it. How come he, God just like pulls him aside and speaks to him personally. But for me, yeah, it's like I see signs all over the place. You know why? Because that's your language and he knows how to speak to you. And here's the point. If your heart is available, you know, you don't have to worry. Oh, I wonder if God said it or whatever. Stop freaking out and be more interested in obeying. And what you'll find is you live a happier life that way. The question is, I know this. It is your will that I would be yours. I'm sure of that. And it is your will that I would be holy. So I don't want to make a choice that's going to make me more like the world versus making me more like you. That should be simple, right? Also, I know it's your, your will that I would be filled. And as a result of that, I wouldn't want to do anything that's going to make me full of me. Because if it makes me full of me, I know that can't be your will because it doesn't allow me to be filled with you. And it is and it's your will that I would be used. So if I'm going to be put in this particular position and in that, then um, I, you know, I, I won't be as usable. And I don't want to be in that thing. But here's the danger. And I'm going to call it for what it is. And we'll get into the rest of our text to develop it and get to, to close this thing up. Don't ever blame your laziness. And I'm speaking to myself here. Your laziness or just outright rebellion or disobedience on you being too careful. God doesn't buy it. So, you know, this is the way it looks. And it gets so funny to me. Sam. Sam is walking down at Whitechapel. And as he's walking down Whitechapel, he's, you know, he's seeing these gals and they're in there sort of, they're, they're kind of half covered. And, 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 there's, and he's walking by and all of a sudden there's two gals talking and they're completely covered head to toe in black except for the little eye slit, right? And the Lord speaks to him and he says, Sam, I want you to turn to those two women and I want you to tell them that Jesus, my son, died on the cross for them and rose again to give them new life. And Sam starts to go through that mental debate because he's kind of a smart guy in there. And he thinks, that's probably Satan. Satan probably told me that because, first of all, we all know culturally guys don't just start speaking to strange women. We also know that they probably have large husbands that scream things I can't understand and will probably kill me in a back alley. And, you, and he goes through all of these sort of scenarios. Doesn't that make sense? And the reason you're, you're smiling is because you know that's what we do. And then what happens in the end, he goes, oh, clearly that must not be the Lord. But while he's doing that, he's purposely walking. Right? So he's like, can't be the Lord. I'm like, I don't know, because that could happen, or that could happen, and that could happen, and that could happen. And by the time he really kind of realizes where he's in, he's like, oh, well, now it's inconvenient. So obviously it can't be the will of God. Any of you do that? Honestly. I'll be honest. I have. And what happens then is, is we've already argued with God because after all, sure, Satan wants him sharing Jesus with a couple Muslim women. Sure, that sounds like Satan, huh? Isn't it that dopey? But we go, I don't know. That can't possibly be the Lord. Why? Because it's weird? Read the Bible. God does weird stuff all the time. In America, we have these stores called 7-Eleven. I don't even know why they're called that. All I know is they're basically the convenience store that sells Slurpees. And all I know is one day driving by... And I'm sort of driving by, and there's this girl sitting on the side of, sort of, you know, right by the entrance of it, and she's crying. And I kind of pull in, because you know what I want? A Slurpee. Those are like slushies, is basically what they're, right? Very, they're basically 90% sugar and a little bit of ice. And, uh, and some food coloring. No, so I'm, I'm kind of walking in, and the Lord says, you need to go sit down and talk to that girl. And I'm, I'm in a neighborhood, by the way where I'm kind of a bit of a minority, which never bothered me. I was raised in a, a neighborhood like that. But just the same, I kind of walked in, I got my Slurpee, and I'm kind of, you know, talking. And, I'm, and, I'm, and you know what I'm doing? If you're anything like me, I'm hoping that I could be in the store long enough that she'll be gone when I walk out. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being that honest. And so I'm kind of talking with the guy behind the counter. And how is it, well, what kind of neighborhood is this? Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I don't normally live here. You're right. You know, and, blah, blah. and I walk out and boom, there she is. And in the end of it all, there's a part of me, to be honest, that really did want to speak with her. But there's another part that goes, are you serious? What will happen if someone drove by? Now, nobody from, I mean, I'm, 
150 miles away from my own fellowship and like some other person from my fellowship is going to be lost driving through this neighborhood, I doubt it. And I guarantee you, if they were, they wouldn't be driving slow enough to see me sit next to this girl. Well, just the same. So I'm like, all right, fine, okay. And I sat down and I start to talk with her. Now notice I shared one that I did okay with in the end. And what happened in the end of it all, this girl, this girl was in a very, very tough situation. She was in a situation where she really wanted to kill herself. And she just, she just said, God, nobody cares about me. Nobody sees me. I'm so invisible. No one cares. And then this white guy sits down next to her and goes, I just want you to know God says he sees you. And that's the information God told me to tell her. Now, you might go, that doesn't make any sense. God says, it doesn't have to make sense to you. You're not talking to you. You're talking to her. Yes, yes, Lord. All right. God says he sees you. And I'm, of course, I'm playing like, you know, I'm thinking all these things in my head. I'm thinking she's going to look and go, yeah, and I see you. 911, hello. I see him. He's a creep. Well, you know, so, but just the same, I'm like, God says he sees you. And she just starts to cry on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please, thank you. I wanted to be in, you know, you pray, God, I want to be used. But I want to be used in a way that I can plan it out. God says, no, 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 no. If you want to be used, let's do it cooler than that. I've got a script, but you wouldn't believe it if I showed it to you. And if I told you ahead of time, you wouldn't have driven by the 7-Eleven. Now, please hear me. Because the question then is, well, what about everything else? I mean, what about, do I take this job or that job, or do I take this? Look, can I just say, first of all, it's God's job to take care of us enough to show us, to keep us out of trouble. Do you really think, I mean, is he that involved in your life? Have you ever had God shut a door and you kept knocking anyways? And you even asked God to shut the door and then he did so clearly and you knocked on it anyways? And you kept knocking until your knuckles were bleeding, but still was shut? And you're like, God, just stop anything. Just stop anything. Just don't let me go if it's the case. Come on, I want this door open. Right? It's, he knows how to shut doors. And that may mean that friend won't call you anymore. That may mean that someone looks and you go, Lord, just remove anything in my life that will keep me from you, from being completely yours. And you get home tonight and the guy calls and says, I just want you to know I just want to be friends. And you're like, seriously? And God says, you prayed it. What, did you think I wouldn't act? Did you think I wasn't listening? Don't tell God you're going to die single when you're engaged to the King of Kings. Don't play that game. Now, the only thing left is to go through this verse. But I do know this. Four very clear things in Scripture. Take a deep breath. It is God's will that you would be... It is God's will that you would be... It is God's will that you would be... And it is God's will that you would be. It's God's will that you wouldn't run out of breath. Okay, now listen. Four really quick things, and then we close this up. How about the practical? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here are your three words. You ready? Reject. Reload, renew. That's it. I want to reject the fashion and manners of this world. That's the word that I have here, by the way. And then the word, by the way, the idea of schemizo, like scheme, is the idea of a fashion or a manner. It's too bad that, uh, that Amina's out of the country right now, because I always think of her. She has these shirts that's like, I don't agree with, or I don't, you know, I don't live for Coco. Or David Lagerfeld, whatever. Like she's got, and she like works in high fashion. And the whole point of it is that like she's just not governed by the stuff that she works with. But it's, there's more than that. The schemata, the scheme, or the schematic of the world. God says, I, 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 don't, I don't want you conforming to that. You know what's really crazy, beloved? We get saved and then we try to try to make the rest of the world think we're still a lot like them. Because and here's the, in our minds, what we say is we want them to ask us to the party. We just want to have the right to say no. I call it the no rights. But in the end of the day, they don't write us. They don't invite us to the party. And we get all bummed out at the same party we said we wouldn't have gone to anyways. But Jesus said, blessed are you when they exclude you. That's what he told us in Luke. And they say all manners of evil against you when they persecute you. Speak about your name, you know, again, for his name's sake. They spitefully use you. 
look it. There is a reason why the lifeguard wears red on the beach. Because the, when you're going down, you need to find him quick. Now, either you're going to go to him or to someone who's extremely German and very sunburned, but more than likely, you will find the lifeguard. I've learned that. They, wear, they picked a color that they just didn't think anyone else would wear. Today, by the way, there are certain places where security wears bright yellow. Why is that? Because that's the only color they're fairly confident nobody other than an Easter egg would probably wear at that particular concert. You know, they're working at some place. Everyone's like, at black, like, like they all shopped in Camden. You know, it's all black and studs. And they're like, you know, they're all like happy, sunshiny, you know, bright yellow. Because you know who the security are at that point. God really, really wants you to stand out. He doesn't want you blending in with everyone else because he is purposing to use you. Remember, that's his will. And to use you, you're going to look a little different. So when the world's miserable and rotten and unhappy and just sullen and gutted by all of these little circumstances and you still are, have the joy of the Lord because it's not about circumstances, you're going to stand out and he intended that. Listen, do not be conformed to this world. Reject it. Second, be transformed. And the word there is the word metamorpho. You get the order, metamorpho. Oh. And the word, of course, means to be formed with. How do I reload? What do I reload? This is by the renewing of your mind. And that goes back to where we started. The battle's in the mind, and it's a new mind he gave you now. And the new mind is one that thinks his thoughts, that looks at things from the perspective of eternity now, and doesn't have to be governed by the circumstances around us. By the way, can I just say a couple real quick things here? We're almost done. Please just be patient with me. We're almost done. Please hear this. We live in a self-entitled, self-victimized world. Let's just be honest. Everybody feels like they have rights to everything, but doesn't want, any, doesn't want to do anything to earn it because it's not about honor. It's about self-esteem now. On the other side of it, we also want to be victims of everything. And that is what can happen. And you need to be reloaded and renewed as I do as well. I am not going to use, you know, what somebody said to me when I was seven to govern the rest of my life now because they'd say you never would amount to anything. I am going to amount to amazing things because the one who created the universe is the one whose hands are wrapped all around me. How can I not be something amazing? Why? Do I have a delusion of grandeur? No, I have a vision of God. I just expect you too to be world changers. I expect you to be amazing masterpieces. God spoke the universe into existence with a handful of words, and He's been working on you ever since you said yes to Him. How beautiful do you think that's going to be? Think of the time He's spent on you. I expect that the greatest masterpiece of God's creation should have the greatest glory, should be the most magnificent, should be the most wondrous. And people should look and go, wow. And that's what he intends for every one of us. But that's not going to happen if we live in a world where all I want to be is a victim to figure out how someone else is going to fix my problems. Jesus fixes my problems. And can I just say, choose for yourself, my biggest problem is me. It's not you. It's not the government. It's not the price or the inflation. It's not Obama. It's not any of that. My biggest problem is me. I'm not even going to blame the devil. I'm pretty convinced he could go on holiday for a week. I might not even know he's gone because I've got enough issues in and of myself to deal with. But praise God, Jesus knows how to deliver me from me. Praise God that I don't have to be a victim anymore. Praise God, I don't have to blame anyone anymore because all of my sin was punished. Jesus said, I'm not going to blame someone else. I will take the blame upon myself. And he didn't even do anything. Think that through. That's my Savior. And I'm not going to look and go, you know what? I'm not important. I need to find people to, to cheer for me to make me important. I'm important because Jesus died for me on the cross. I can't get any more important than that. 
He's the only one who knows everything about me. He knows more about me than I do. And still wants me anyways. So I don't need you to vote me in or out. Off the island or on. The bottom line is, beloved, I am a new creation. And though I in and of myself have nothing great to offer but my surrender, I am adored by the one that really matters. And if that be the case, I can love you. Because I don't need self-esteem. I need God-esteem. I know who I am in Christ. And that's all that matters. That, And I resolve that so I can move forward and actually start looking at you now instead of me. You know what? If I get super chubby and lose all my hair, which I'm on that trajectory, I'll just look at someone like Mario. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> you know what? Who cares? My breaths are held in his life. In his hands. You know what? He knows the last one. And until then, I just want to be used. Please, please. And I'm not saying bad things haven't happened to you. But don't go looking for more excuses not to do his will. If he calls you to something, he's going to do it. Just let him. Please. And you go, I can't because... Are you telling God that? I can't because I'm single, because I'm married, because I'm old, because I'm young, because I'm dumb, because I have a past, because I have a mouth. Every one of those excuses were tried in Scripture and they didn't work out so well for any of them. In the end of it all, God's like, look, at, I see through your little excuses. I know what they are, but don't forget who you're talking to. I made your mouth. I know what to do. Ultimately, the last thing on this is that he'll tell us in verse 3 and that's what we'll get next week. And again, we got through a verse. Listen, is it not only am I to reject the world, reload and renew that mind, but ultimately I'm to regard. And what I'm to regard is you. I'm going to start looking at you now and say, Lord, how do you, you want to use me to bless this amazing people? I tell you what, I delight in you guys. I don't know if you know it or not, but I delight in you. I giggle when I think of you guys. I'm goofy that way. And if you don't believe me, ask the people who are closest to me. I delight in you guys. You know Why? I'll be honest, not even because you're so delightful, although I could probably find that too. It's because the Lord has put delight in my heart for you. I just love you. I'm so thankful. Now look at, as we go to prayer, I want to start with this. It's God's will that you would be His. Are you His? Are you still trying to make God yours, but not but on your terms? Are you His? It's God's will that you would be holy. Are you still busy to trying to blend in with the world? Are you busy not conforming to the world but being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Do you see how it works? It's God's will that you would be filled. So we empty ourselves of ourselves and we become the vessel that God intended. It's God's will that you would be used. And if I start regarding you the way I should and I regard Him the way I should, I'm just a tool in His hand and you would be too. Oh, beloved, as we go to prayer, may God just rock our worlds tonight. May he speak whatever language you need to hear today. To say, yes, Lord. God would say, because you know, God doesn't have to just speak to tell you what you're doing wrong. If you're only listening for what he's telling you you're doing wrong, what kind of relationship is that? Are you afraid God speaks to me? And I know if you do, you're going to tell me, here's the list of things you're doing wrong. What kind of relationship is that? If you stop to listen, what you just might hear is God tell you, I love you. Don't worry. I'm patient and you're on my drawing board and I'm going to cut those things off that don't bear any fruit. I'm going to prune those things that are less. I'm going to make you fruitful beyond your wildest imagination. Stay planted. You pray with me. Lord, what a beautiful opportunity just to tell you we love you. What an amazing time, Lord, on this beautiful rainy night here in Camden. And Lord, I just pray tonight that all of us who have said yes to you will be available, will cling to you to be holy. Remind us, holiness is not an action. The piety that is the fruit of us clinging to you is not what you're looking for. You're looking for us to cling to you. It's your job to bear that fruit. So Lord, I pray tonight that you would create a, a room full of people who are usable, 
who are filled with you, who are holy because first and foremost, they're yours. And so, Lord, right now, where our minds have been not renewed, renew them. Where we've sought to conform to the world around us, transform us. And in that, God, I pray tonight that you would minister now. And if there be any that have not said yes to the gift of Jesus, but they know tonight they need to, then I just pray right now that you would hear this prayer. This is a choice you need to make. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you, at the end of it all, you agree, I ask you simply to say amen. And what you're saying is, that's my prayer now. Those words are my words. And here it is. God in heaven, I confess to you I'm a sinner. But as a sinner, I confess to you, Lord, that that sin has made me guilty before you. I agree with you. That's what you tell me and I agree. Your word says it. But I believe you so loved me, Father, that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross on my behalf. He made himself the victim of my sin so that I could be forgiven. My crimes could be punished. And then three days later, just as your scripture promised, he rose again and now offers me brand new life, a life that is forgiven and new, with new drives, new desires. So I say yes, confessing Jesus as my Savior who died for me, my ransom, and my risen Lord. I surrender myself to Jesus as my Lord. So here I am, have me, I pray. I belong to you now. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.